0: I trust you're all aware this morning of how much you need the Lord. Uh, we can't make it in, on our own. We try. We work at it, but uh, it doesn't work out very well. And I see people whose lives are they're struggling and not dealing with things very well. And oftentimes it's because they aren't walking with the Lord or they haven't turned their problems over to him or the issues in their lives. And so we come back and we sing that song, Oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every hour, every minute, every day, every second, I need you. We've been studying the names of God, and, and last week we started a two-parter. And if you've watched many TV shows, you know that when they are going to have a continuation the next week, they say, we're going we're to do the second part next week, and that's what I said last week. And then they come on and they catch you up a little bit. And so you'll remember that we're going to be talking about Yahweh, Yahweh. Uh, Uh, Hebrew letters translated to the English would be Y-H. No, it isn't. Anyway, I'll get back there. Anyway, uh, Yahweh, and that's how we spell it. And uh, Y-H-W-H. See, I got it just like that. Uh, But it's, it's talking about the great I am. But before we get there, We want to go back and look a little bit about where we've come to when God explains his name. He actually uses that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, when he says, I'm the Lord God, and uh, it's Yahweh Elohim, which uh, isn't written out in English. It simply means Lord God. But as we come into this passage, Israel has uh, kind of grown up as a nation in Egypt. They were... uh, sent there, established there by God. It was, it was God's way of putting them in an incubator so that they could grow into this nation that he wanted them to be. I really believe that. You remember that uh, there was a famine in the land. Israel was over here. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Youngest son was Joseph, and he was sent as a slave to Egypt. And it was there that God used Joseph to become the savior of the nation because he was the one who established the granaries. He took care of the people there. He provided for them during that famine, and his family came down and lived there uh, through the uh, will of God and the power of God. It's amazing how God worked that out. But after a period of time, the leadership in Egypt changed, and they didn't know why the Israelites were there and became angry. And, you know, if, if, if the leader, the new king, the leader of Egypt had not had this attitude I believe that Israel would have stayed there it would have just been status quo it was a great place why move I mean they had all the Egyptian gods and they had the Egyptian wealth and uh, they had everything they could possibly want there and yet that wasn't where God wanted them and so a new king came in and he didn't know who Joseph was he didn't know the history of what had taken place and so being fearful of the nation he put them into bondage they became slaves to build his cities for them And uh, you remember that God raised up a man after they were a few million people by the name of Moses. Moses was born as a baby in Egypt. He was to be killed. And rather than that, by God's providence, the daughter of Pharaoh found him. Just a little infant. (laughs) Couldn't be kept at home anymore because he was probably crying too loud and people would hear him. And the soldiers would come and destroy him. And so... This daughter of Pharaoh took him home and raised him in opulence. He he was there in the palace of Pharaoh. It's amazing for an Israelite child to be raised as, as Moses was, but that was God's plan. That was what God had planned for them. And then they came to this point where the nation was experiencing great pain because of the labor that was put on them because of the beating, because of the way they were treated, because of what was expected, and they cried out. And we talked about the fact that they cried out in anguish, and God heard, and God does hear, and God does respond. In fact, if we went back to 1 John chapter 5, in verses 14 and 15, it, it says about prayer that if we pray anything, According to God's will it says this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in what we have ever we have asked we know that we have the request from him. And I really believe that's the case of where they were in terms of their prayer. They were praying to God this was God's will and God heard and God responded and he chose a man. He raised him up and his name was Moses. And... uh, God called him to go and bring the people out of Israel. If you go back to verse 10 of our chapter, and, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. And in fact, I, I want to go back and read, first of all, beginning in the 7th verse down through the ninth verse to set the tone. Beginning in verse 7, God has come to Moses. You remember the burning bush, and Moses went to find out what, it, what was going on. How could a bush be burning without being destroyed? And God told him that he was there, and uh, he was the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hid his face. And then in verse 7 through 9, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, And I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Kenyanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them, and we just need to understand that God sees our needs. He understands where we are, and He understands where, what we're going through when we cry out to Him. But He wants us to rely on Him. It's interesting, God just doesn't intercede without people coming in prayer and crying out and seeking His will. You know, we kind of think, well, God, why don't you just intercede? Because he wants us to respond in faith. And so we come to faith in God. And we come down to this 10th verse now. As God is is speaking to Moses. And he's giving him a job. And he says, therefore now I come. or Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh. So that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, You ever notice that? God uses people. You know, he, he doesn't just act. He he expects us to be individuals who serve him, who do the things he asks. He uses us to fulfill his will. It, it may be a, a task that he calls us to do within the body of Christ, in the church. It may be a job that he calls you to do at your work in terms of ministering to others and and being a, a witness for him there. It may be the job he's called you to of either being a a Christian wife or a Christian husband or a Christian parent all of those things God has given you responsibilities and he tells you how to do it but I need to I believe we need to realize that God appoints men and he appoints women to accomplish the task that he has for them and and we as individuals should be seeking to know what it is God has for us now I believe that he appoints men to be pastors and teachers in churches he raises them up it is a calling that i believe an individual has and this coming week we are going to be examining uh corwin wong for uh his ordination and he's going to have a number of individuals that are going to come and sit on an ordination council and make a recommendation to the church because it's this church that actually ordains corwin but for me, the ordination confirmation is just a confirmation that God has called him. We've seen that. It, it's God's calling more than man's calling. If a pastor doesn't understand that, boy, he struggles in the ministry because he sees himself as no different than anybody else in any other job that they choose. And We have to understand that God calls. It goes back to Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus is, is talking about Jesus, and in the 11th verse it says, in terms of the church, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. They're pastors. They're shepherds in the church. They're teachers. They're to expound the word of God. And I really believe that that is a position that God gives to men within the body of Christ. They're called. There is a holy calling that is there, a spiritual calling. It's different than when someone says, oh, I'd like to be a teacher or I'd like to be a contractor or I'd like to be an engineer or any of the other things. It's a calling that God gives. And so it's, it's important that we understand that. I, I would say to uh, Corwin today, That it needs to be a calling. I believe there are men who go all the way through college and seminary. They get their degrees. They have a master's degree. Oh, I can be a pastor now. But really they went to seminary because they were Christians. They loved the Lord and they loved to study. They're academics. They've never been called into the ministry. The calling is something different. And so though I am not preaching the charge to Corwin... And I've told him this before, if you can do anything else and be happy, don't be a pastor. Because you don't have a call. God makes you so driven to do that that you can't do anything else and be happy. And so when I look at this, I look at Moses and he was called and God said, I've got a job for you. And it goes on in verse 11. And it says, but Moses said to God, (laughs) who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring The sons of Israel out of Egypt. I don't know that he didn't he was angry and didn't want to do it. I really think it was that Moses had come to that point where in his own self esteem he didn't feel worthy and prepared. He had he had gone through a difficult time. Who am I? You go back to the book of Acts, and I'm not going to go there this morning, but in the seventh chapter, Stephen was talking about the history of the nation of Israel, and he talked about the call of Moses. And he was raised in the palace, and then when he was about 40 years of age, he went out and he said, I'm going to release the nation of Israel. And uh, I mentioned it last week, there was a One man, a slave driver, an Egyptian, who was beating an Israeli, and Moses killed the man and hid the body. He thought nobody saw him, and then the next day he went down, and there were two Israelis fighting, and one was beating up the other, and he said, stop, be at peace, you're of the same nationality. And the man said that was winning the fight, what are you going to do, kill me like you did the slave driver the other day? And Moses ran. You see, if there was ever a time when Moses, in his own strength, should have been able to deliver the nation of Israel, it was when he was about 40 years of age. He had all the right training. But God said, now's not the time. Moses, I didn't call you at this time. Sent him out into the desert for about 40 years, 80 years old. Figure that out, guys. Some of you are saying, oh, I'm getting kind of old. No, you're not. You may get called to deliver the nation of America from whoever. I don't know. But God called him at 80 years of age. And now he was ready. Now he was prepared because God had prepared him for the job he was to do. And I would say this. If we are ever to serve God effectively, I've heard people say, you have to be broken. I don't know about that broken stuff. But I'll say this. If you're going to serve the Lord, you better be humbled. It's not about what you can do. See, Moses was at that point where it was still all about him. The humility wasn't there when he tried to deliver them the first time, and then God sent him out into the desert that he might be humbled. God doesn't always choose the most educated. He doesn't always choose the greatest leaders. He doesn't always choose the one with the greatest experience or the greatest money. In fact, he says that's not the case normally back in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, he talks about the kind of people that he chooses. I don't know if I like it or not, considering I'm here to serve the Lord. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 30, listen to what it says. Paul's writing, and he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, God has chosen, chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, or oh, the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, ours, so that no man may boast before God. So that we can't come back and say, Wow, God. <laughs> I got to heaven and I'm standing before the judgment seat and said, you were sure lucky to get me. You know, I've thought about that so many times. It it, it would be very easy for a person in a position of leadership in a church to begin to become arrogant about what he has done and what he has accomplished. But God can't use us, not effectively, when we're not humble. When we don't humble ourselves before God. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. Most men that I know in the ministry, if they've been there very long, have gone through difficult times. It may be in the health of their family. It may be financially. It may be in getting along with people in the church. It may be be any number of things. But if they don't learn to rely on the Lord in those times, they'll never be effective at serving the Lord. Because we take too much pride in ourselves. It's too easy to do that. You see, God prepared Moses And he prepares each one of us for the things he wants us to do. You may wonder, why am I going through this time? Why am I in this spiritual desert? Why does it feel like nothing's working out? Because God's shaping you and forming you for whatever he wants you to do. You see, Moses first went through that period of opulence, that first 40 years where he was raised in the house of pharaoh he went to the very best schools do you know what if he had not gone through those schools he probably would not have been prepared to write down the first five books of the old testament the pentateuch the law even today the israelites the jews read the law moses could do that because of his education i believe he had great leadership skills he probably went to seminars on leadership Pastors can do that today. There's a lot of seminars out there that we can go to, and one of them is on leadership. And and Moses, man, he was trained in leadership. He he needed to be a leader if he was going to lead two, three, four million people out of Egypt. Moses was trained as a warrior. He, he, he was a warrior in Egypt. He, he was an orator. He was a speaker. He needed to be able to do all of these things. When they went through the desert, there were actually tribal groups. There were nations that came against them to attack them. And, and Moses had to know what to do when that happened. And so he had all of this training for the first 40 years, and you think, wow, now he's ready. <laughs> but God said, I've got another training for you and he sent him to the desert for 40 years you ever gone through a tough time in your life and you wonder why and how am i going to make it out of here and how's this going to work just doesn't seem that i i can dig myself out of this hole moses was out there and he met a man He was priest of midian and married his daughter zipporah and they had two children and Moses spent 40 years leading his father-in-law's band of sheep around the backside of the desert. And you think, what a waste. Here was a guy with the, the greatest education in the world at that time. He, he was one of the greatest leaders. It says he, he was well-spoken, all of those things. You go back and read it in the book of Acts, chapter 7. And he was out in the desert. What a waste. But I'll tell you something. Moses was going back to the desert with over two million people, and he was desert tough. He knew how to get along out there. He he knew what to eat and what not to eat. He'd say, oh, don't eat that. That'll kill you. And yeah, that's good to eat. And hey, stay away from the mushrooms. We don't need a bunch of crazies out here. And you know, he could tell them what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. And And he'd say, this is a good pool. There's some good water up here. And he would move to the watering hole. And he knew where the best places to camp were because that's where Moses had been for 40 years. God trained him to be a leader in the desert. And it was amazing how God developed him. You see, when we go through some trying times, we may wonder at times, why? Why, Lord? Moses said, I I don't think I'm the one. Verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I've been out here in the desert for all this time, and and they don't really know me there, and the ones that do know me may remember that I was, (laughs) I ran because I killed somebody, and listen to what God says, and this is what I want you to get here. He said, certainly I will be with you. Oh, and Moses, this will be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people of e- out of Egypt, you shall worship God in this mountain. I'd probably say, Lord, I'd like to sign a little earlier. <laughs> Let's not wait till we're out. But I want you to know something. When you know God and you walk with God and you've been prepared by God, it doesn't matter what God calls you to do. You'll be ready. Because God prepares us for that calling. God prepares each and every one of us to do the things that he wants. And I think it's just as true today as it was with Moses back in Psalms 32.8. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you shall go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. I'm going to give you direction. I'm going to give you guidance, whoever you are and whatever God calls you to do. If you go back to Matthew chapter 28, we, we know the Great Commission And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Even till the time when Jesus comes back. We go back to the book of of Hebrews. Hebrews, the 13th chapter It's a great chapter as we come back there, but in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, at the end of that verse, he says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And so I would just say this morning that you need to look and say, how do I humble myself before God? How can I be used by God to do his calling? How does what does God want me to do? And and if I were you, I'd come to God in prayer and just say, here I am. I love it when Isaiah was called by God. And and at first, God said, I got a job for you. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I I, I can't speak for you. I I live among a people with unclean lips. An angel flew down and touched his lips with a hot coal and purified him. And then Isaiah said something that should be true for each and every one of us. Here my Lord, send me. doesn't matter where. doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you want to do, send me. And that should be our attitude. Moses went on, and, and he still wasn't sure about this idea of going. And if you know anything about the, uh, the book of Exodus, uh, Moses struggled with the idea of being used by God. And the next thing he wanted to know was, well, God, who are you? You're going to be with me, but what do we know about you? We go down to verses 13 through 15. Let me read them to you. It says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, If if I do what you ask me to do, I'm going to go to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. Now, think about this, God. What if they say this? They may say to me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, and this is it, he begins to explain his name. We've seen it since Genesis chapter 2. But here it is. He says, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Remember last week we read that passage where it says this is his name. He says that here as well. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord That's Yahweh, the God, Elohim, God, the strong one of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And then he makes this statement. This is my name forever. It's an eternal name. It's never going to change. This is my memorial name. This is how you remember me to all generations. Uh, Moses was reluctant to go. He, he wasn't sure he wanted to go and uh, go to those people. And I think I would have been too. If, I, if it had been 40 years since I'd been there, I'd say, I really don't know the people. I mean, the, the generations have changed. I, I, I don't think I'll fit in. I smell like sheep. I, I don't think I'm the one. Maybe he remembered back to the fact that he had run and he was a wanted felon. He'd killed somebody. And so he came and he said, what's your name anyway? What am I going to tell these people? They're going to ask me who you are. And if we go back to the Old Testament, you realize the name in the Old Testament had to do with a person's character, with his qualities and who he was. It wasn't like where my parents decided, oh, we like to name Andrew. I think I'll name him Andrew. I doubt they even looked up to find out what it meant. But it had a nice ring. How many of us, when we name our kids and we got a first and second name, we go, well, do they sound good together? Instead of what does this say about them? Well, in the Old Testament, it was very much, uh, what does it say about him? What are the character qualities here? Uh, I I can't go to him and just say, well, this guy came to me. Uh, This Jason guy came to me. No offense, Jason. But they would probably say if Jason was the one that sent me, they'd say, well, why would we follow you if Jason sent you? Because we don't know Jason. He says, Lord, who am I going to say sent me? Who is it that asked me to go? He wasn't just saying, what shall we call you? But what is it that makes you one worthy of following. Listening to verse 14 and 15. And God said to Moses, and I love this, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, oh, he sent me to you. Oh, this is my name forever, Moses. This is my memorial name for all generations. It comes from the verb to be. Yahweh, uh, I mentioned the letters earlier, Y-H-W-E, and they didn't have the vowels. And so nobody really knows how to pronounce it today. They took Adonai and they joined them together at one time and they called him Jehovah. Well, they realize it isn't that, and I joined with these letters. And so they threw an A and E in there in terms of English, and we get Yahweh. And it's related to Haya, which is to be. It's to be, to exist. Uh, that's, that's really the idea. What God is saying is, Moses, I'm the self-existent one. I I exist in and of myself. I don't rely on anybody or anything else. I don't rely on the creation. I created all things Moses, but I'm not contained in my creation. I'm part of it. I'm here, but uh, I exist beyond my creation. I'm greater than my creation. Uh, I'm self-existent. Theologians call that aseity. That's the character quality of God at that point, and And he's speaking of of the fact that it's an active existence. In that I am, he's not saying that, hey, I'm back here in some corner of the universe, and I was, and I'm never going to be around here anymore. But he says, I am right now. Moses, I'm going to be there with you. And I'm the great I am. I am that I am. I am has sent you. Verse 15, he goes down and he says, God, furthermore, said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, and that's the term. Every time you look in the Bible, we've talked about this before. L-O-R-D in capital letters have to do with this verb to be or Yahweh. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He has sent me to you. The point is that he is I am. Now, let's just do a little bit of a, a grammar lesson here. I am his first person present. So he says I am, I am present today. He was present yesterday. He was I am yesterday. He's I am tomorrow. Uh that's true with God. But we may translate that. He was. That's in the past tense or we may tend to print it in the in the future, he will be. Those are all logical uh translations of that word. As I was going back and I was looking at the translations and how people saw it, they they're all there. He he is I am, or if we were to do it in the third person, if I were to talk about him, God said I am, but I would say he is. That's the third person, he is, he was, he will be. Uh, that's how it looks, and so uh, Moses may have gone, and they should have, could have asked, well, who is it that sent you? <laughs> and he said, well, he is, he is self-existent, and he's existent today, and he will be there. Uh, whether I am or he is is the cre- correct translation. Uh, there are other possibilities, and I don't know. Uh, he could say, I was, he was, future tense, I will be, he will be. In fact, that's kind of how we translate it in verse 12, and he said, certainly, I will be, that's the future tense, I will be with you. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? God's saying, I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. It doesn't matter what the relationship is. His relationship with Israel, he says, I'll be with you. I was with you when I talked to Abraham, and I told him I was going to make him the father of a great nation, and and how great this nation was going to be numerically. I was with Joseph when he went down to Egypt. I was with the rest of the boys when they came down, and they brought their families I'm with you today, Moses. And I'll be with you tomorrow when you get into the wilderness. And I'll be with you or the nation when they, promise, when they go into the promised land because I do what I say I will do. And God says the same thing in his relationship to each one of us. I was with you during that difficulty you went through last year or the year before the pain you experienced, the struggle you had. I'm with you today. I see your need. I see the pain. I see the joys. I see all of those things. I'm with you. And you know what? I've got a plan for you, and I'll be with you tomorrow. And when you begin to look at that term, Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, it's talking about Yahweh, and he is the great I am, the self-existent one, and he says he'll be with us. And that's a wonderful promise. I just kind of went down and I looked at the different things I saw here. Number one, he's a self-existent God. He's not reliant on you or me or anybody else. You know, if God wants to accomplish something, he doesn't need me. He allows me to be part, but he doesn't need me. He's self-existent. He's changeless. Back in Psalms. Ninety, The 90th Psalm in, in verses 1, 2, and 4, it makes a statement about him. There are other passages that I've written down, but I just want to read this one. In, in Psalms 90, verses 1 and 2, it says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. You've always been there. You're our dwelling place before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting You're the changeless God. Verse 4, it says, a thousand years in your sight, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch in the night, just a couple of hours. You don't see time as we do. He's a God who never changes. He's always the same. In in Hebrews 13, because I believe that Jesus is God, it says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll always be the same. Do you know how comforting that is? God isn't going to change his mind on me tomorrow. He's not going to look at me and say, I'm tired of you. You're out of here. He's always the same. He never changes. He doesn't grow older. He wasn't a real young God to start with. He was always the same. He's a covenant God. It says here, He is the God of Abraham, your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I would go along with that, and I would say he is the faithful God. Because, you see, he made a promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he says, I'm fulfilling it now. I'm taking you out of Egypt. I'm still doing what I told him I was going to do. And God's a faithful God. And if he's made a promise to you, he keeps it. He fulfills it. And you can trust him to that. do that. He is a faithful God. He is the covenant God. And finally, he's the eternal God. And down here in the 15th verse, he says, My name, this is my name forever. It's for eternity, from the beginning to the end. I'm the, I'm the first and the last. And this is my memorial name to all generations, every generation that comes. This is the name I have, Yahweh. And, and so as we look at that, we go, oh, okay. But how does that relate to us? How does that relate to the New Testament church in that God is Yahweh? How does it relate to us today. Well, if you go back to Matthew, there was an angel that came to Joseph and he was telling Joseph that his betrothed was going to have a baby and he gave him the name and it's found in uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 and it says she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, which is like Joshua in the Old Testament. Yah it comes from Yahweh, it means God. Yah saves. God is salvation. Jesus is salvation. That's what it's talking about here. He said, and that's why he said it, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's really the the combining of two Hebrew names or words that have to do with, with God, Yah, and to save. Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves. Beautiful picture of that is is in the passage we were in this morning, chapter 3, verse 8. He says, for I have come down to deliver them, to save them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land that is good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of, and all of those names there, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, Perizzite, Havite, Jebusite, they're all pretty well gone today. What does it have to do with Jesus? If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus was oftentimes in contention with uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those different individuals who were leaders in the Jewish nation. And, And they were questioning about who he was. And in John chapter 8, beginning in the 48th verse, it says, The Jews answered and said to him said to jesus do you not say rightly that you are or do we not say rightly that you're a samaritan oh a little racial religious uh, hatred there do we not say that you're a samaritan and you have a demon and jesus answered and he said i do not have a demon but i honor my father and i and you dishonor me but i do not seek my glory there is one who seeks and judges truly i say to you if anyone keeps my word he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. <laughs> Abraham died. You know, he said he's never going to see death if he keeps the word of Jesus. They said, we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if, everyone, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Verse 53, surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Now, I want you to listen to this. I've heard people tell me that Jesus never called himself God. And that's not true. He said, nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the Gospels did Jesus call himself God. Listen to this. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. God. And you have come to know him, but I know him. And if I ask that I do, and if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, listen to this. Your father, Abraham, he who was the founder of this nation, your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad And the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what does it say? I am. What did God say his name was, his memorial name through the generations? I am. The exact same term the exact same tense he is ever present he is the great i am jesus is the second person of the trinity he is god and if someone ever says that he never called himself god he used the memorial name right there that's who he is he's god and therefore they picked up stones to throw at him but jesus hid himself and went out of the temple why were they going to throw stones at jesus because they knew he claimed to be God. And they couldn't accept it. Who is God? We talked about the fact of the fact uh, that the Bible calls him God. It's, it's a title. Elohim. The strong one. He is the powerful one. He is the omnipotent one. There's nothing that he can't accomplish. He created everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. He claimed to be Adonai, Lord, Master. We read it in the Bible, and when you read it, you need to be able to differentiate in your scriptures between Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, Adonai, which means that he is Master. Do you want to know something? He's your Master. He's your Lord. He is sovereign over all things. And that's what he says about himself. Now we've come to Yahweh. We don't really know for sure how it's pronounced, but that's kind of how we pronounce it today instead of Jehovah. Yahweh. I am. I'm the self-existent one. I am the one who will always be there for you. I'm the one who will never forsake you. I am the covenant God. I am the faithful God. Anything that I have said, I will do. I will complete. If I said I would save you, I will save you. If I've forgiven your sins, they are forgiven. Any of those things that God says he'll do, he'll do. And it's his memorial name through the generation. It isn't as if God's going to kind of go off the scene tomorrow. But he's eternal. And he's always there. And so it's important that we go back and we understand who he is. That's why when he calls someone to do something, to a task... We can step out in faith realizing he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll help you raise those kids. Do you know what parents do? They go get a book and they read it. That's a good thing. There's a lot of good books out there. But the one book you need to go to first is that one. That's my Bible, if I'm pointing at it right. He tells you how to have a marriage. You want to know how to have a good marriage? You go to the Bible and you find out what it says about being a husband and wife. He says, I'll be there with you. I've called you to that position, to that place. You want to know if if God's called you to a, a Sunday school class or he's called you to some other task in the church or some task in the community? He says, I'll be there with you. And I have the power to meet the needs. You humble yourself under the hand of God and he will lift you up at the proper time. Let's pray, shall we? Father, boy. You're an amazing God. I, just looking at the names that, that describe you, the, the, the positions that you have as God and Lord, and, and Lord again as, as Yahweh and Adonai and Elohim, the great El, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Oh, Father. We praise you for who you are. And we're thankful that we have that relationship with you and that you love us and you care for us. When I, when I look at these things, uh, for me, Father, it's just a reminder of, of who I serve and, and where my relationship is and what my life is all about. And it's not all about me, but it's about you, Father. And I would pray for each of us. I pray that I would truly understand that. It's easier to say than do, but, Father, I pray for each person here that they would have that same heart and that same attitude. That we're here to serve the almighty God. The great I am. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who will be. The first and the last. The alpha and the omega. Creator of all things. The sustainer of all things. Oh, Father, you are so awesome. Thank you. Help us to understand just a little bit better who you are and a little more fully of who you are that it might make an impact on our lives thank you father we pray these things in jesus name amen